Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number two of Genesis chapter six. And we're going to read the first few verses, beginning in verse 1. And it came to pass, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men, that they were fair. And they took them wives of all which they chose. And Jehovah said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, Yet his days shall be a 120 years. I'll stop reading there. Now, we're at the point where uh, just prior to the flood, God is looking out upon the world and he sees that the line of believers has been contaminated through intermarriage with the line of man. That is the... Uh, professed believers of that time were marrying people who were just unsaved or natural individuals in the sense they did not follow the God of creation. They did not follow the Lord Jehovah. And so God reacted by indicating he will give a timeline for the judgment of the first earth, the first world, which he began at the creation and now has progressed over 5,000 years into history, and it will come 120 years from this point in Noah's 600th year, when it's the 6,023rd year from the creation that God will bring the judgment of the flood. But here in verse 3, the Lord makes an interesting statement. It says again, And Jehovah said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. Now, what does God mean that his spirit shall not always strive with man? Well, let's take a look at a couple of words more closely that are used in this verse. For instance, the word strive. Strive is number 1777 in the Hebrew, in Strong's Concordance. And it's a word that is translated as judged or plead the cause and also strive. For instance, in Genesis chapter 30, beginning in verse 5, it says, And Bilhah conceived... And bear Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God hath judged me and has also heard my voice and has given me a son. Therefore called she his name Dan. Now the, the English word judge is one of the more difficult words in the Bible to, uh, fully understand because 
depending on the particular Hebrew word that's used, translate as judge or judgment. It could have several meanings. It could be a positive or a negative. And in this case, when Rachel, whose handmaid conceived and bore this son, she is calling his name Dan because God has judged her. She doesn't mean because God has punished her or God has done something to pour out his wrath upon her. It, it, it doesn't have that idea at all. It has to do with God hearing her pleas, hearing her prayers. And remember, this word judge is also translated pleading the cause. So basically, Rachel saying, God hath pleaded my cause. And so she named his name Dan, which means judge or judgment. Also in Jeremiah, in Jeremiah 22, it says in verse 16, he judged the cause of the poor and needy. Then it was well with him, was not this to know me, saith Jehovah. Now again, the word judge the cause is our word, 1777, and it's not used negatively here at all. When someone judged the cause of the poor and needy, that is, like a judge hearing the case, they took into consideration and considered the cause for the poor and needy. It's actually um, maybe better understood. It's practically the same verse as Jeremiah 22.16, but using different wording for our word, 1777, in Proverbs 31 and verse 9. Proverbs chapter 31, verse 9 says, Open thy mouth, judge righteously, and plead the cause of the poor and needy. That's the same word. It, it could have been translated and judge the cause of the poor and needy. But here, plead the cause of the poor and needy. And who are the poor and needy? Well, God typifies those that he saves. They're poor in spirit. They're needy of salvation. It is language that uh, the Lord ties in with his people, the elect. And, and to plead the cause of the poor and needy is a very positive thing, a very good thing. And so when we're reading here in Genesis 6, as Jehovah said, my spirit shall not always strive, that's our word, which can properly be translated, my spirit shall not always plead the cause with man. That is, God is not always going to make salvation available. He He's not always going to be concerned about a poor and needy people, his elect, because there will come a time when he has found all the poor and needy, a, a time when the lost sheep of the house of Israel have all been recovered. And so... Here, God is indicating, my spirit will not always strive, or or my spirit will not always plead the cause with man, for that he also is flesh. 
yet his day shall be 120 years. And we probably won't get around to discussing the 120 years timeline in, in this verse. But, um, and by the way, it is a timeline for, you know, those people who say date setters and, you know, sort of in quotes as the most horrible thing you can be. It is, isn't it? That, um, today being a date setter is the most despised and terrible thing you can do when it comes to spiritual things. You can, you can fall over backwards. Uh, you can speak with tongues. You can produce or publish a Bible that makes all the references to God in the feminine. You, you can uh, do practically anything else under the sun. And your brethren, apparently, in the church world today, but if you set a date, oh, you should be stoned. You're a false prophet. And, and it, it is so ironic that a church that, that God, um, characterizes as the false prophet in the book of Revelation, points the finger and says, you're a false prophet. And a church that has been given over into the hands of Satan, where he has been loosed and ruled as the man of sin and took his seat in their temple, says, you're of Satan. And, of course, it it's all within the will of God, God's end-time testing program for his people, which really is not very different than many of the saints of God and what they have had to endure, the temptation, the testing and trial that God's people have had to endure at various times down through history. Jeremiah was pulled out of a pit and and again and again assaulted and insulted and and condemned by his own people for being a heretic and a false prophet and unpatriotic to boot. It's, it's just the general lot for the child of God and, and the true believers today, um, God's elect. We, we really don't pay it all that much attention. It's not all that significant any longer since God is through with the church age. But there are definite places in the Bible, Genesis 15, where God tells Abram, uh, after 400 years, that he will come to visit his people, or when God says in Daniel, 70 weeks, or here, my spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his day shall be 120 years. God becomes a date setter. And you know, he's our example. The God of the Bible, the Lord Jesus Christ, is our example. And if God sets dates, then if we suffer with the accusation of being a date setter, well, so be it. Frankly, I don't care that uh, people would accuse me of that, especially considering the ones that are casting the stones. But the fact is that the Bible sets dates, and there's several dates that God has established in his word, and here is one of them, 120 years and 120 years, does identify with what should have been 
the whole history of the world. As the world reaching its fullness would reach 12,000 years overall. Again, we'll save that and, and we'll show how that is. That the 120, 10 times 12 points to 12,000, which is 12 and multiples of 10. And, and to the full or the complete fullness of the history of the world. So God says here, his spirit will not always plead the cause with man concerning the poor and needy that are amongst the multitude of, of the population of the world, for that he also is flesh. And, you know, that's sort of a strange statement, for he also is flesh. What, what does it mean? Of course, man is flesh, but why... Is God making this statement in that way in this particular verse? It seems like it should be a condemnation, but we wonder, uh, didn't God create man with flesh? And yes, he did. Man was created, flesh and blood and bones. the, The same physical body we have today was the type of body that Adam had that Eve had, that Cain and Abel had. The only difference, of course, is that when God created Adam and Eve, and he created them with flesh and blood and bones, a body, that initially, originally, they were created good. And so the flesh of Adam and Eve, their whole physical makeup, was good. In the sight of God. That's what the Bible tells us. Remember? And, and you can just think of when Eve was formed out of Adam's rib, that, that God made the statement in Genesis 2, verse 23, and Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Bone and flesh is mentioned. It's, it's what they were made of. And, that's before the fall into sin. And, and back in Genesis 1, God said in verse 31, And God saw everything that he had made, including the man, Adam, flesh and blood and bone. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. So the idea of flesh itself is not evil or sinful, Flesh can be good. It was created that way at the first. But we know that then man fell into sin in that very day. His soul died, but his physical body continued to live, yet in a cursed condition. And so the body now began to age and deteriorate and Eventually, it also would die, as Adam died many hundreds of years later after eating of the forbidden fruit. But the wages of sin is death, and the soul of man dies, the physical body of man dies. But after the fall, the flesh takes on a new negative or evil connotation. It has, it has a different meaning from the original creation. And in this verse we're looking at, in Genesis 6, verse 3, 
I'll read it again. And Jehovah said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, or my spirit will not always plead the cause with man, for that he also is flesh. Now, the translation in the second part of this statement in verse 3 is not the best translation, where it says, He also is... Um, let me read Jay Green's interlinear translation. Hopefully you'll see the difference. Literally, the phrase, He also is flesh, should read, In erring, or in their erring, like making an error, in their erring, he is flesh. And that, of course, is is not coming across in the English King James translation. He also is flesh. The Hebrew word, um, Strong 7683, is translated only five times. And once he also is in Genesis 6-3, but once as erred in Leviticus chapter 5 in verse 18, it says there, And he shall bring a ram without blemish out of the flock with thy estimation for a trespass offering unto the priest, and the priest shall make an atonement for him concerning his ignorance wherein he erred and wist it not that it shall be forgiven him. The word erred is the same word that's in the verse. It's in the original Hebrew in Genesis 6, verse 3. Or in Numbers 15 and in verse 28, it says, And the priest shall make an atonement for the soul that sinneth ignorantly. The two words, sinneth ignorantly, is a translation of the same Hebrew word, 7683 in the concordance. In Job, chapter 12, and in verse 16, with him is strength and wisdom, the deceived and the deceiver are his. The word deceived is the word we're looking at. And then one Last time in Psalm 119 and in verse 67, Before I was afflicted, I went astray. And it's it's went astray that is a translation of our word. So we see that in the King James translation, he also is flesh, that it, it is not... Um, it is not delivering or or presenting the idea that this Hebrew word carries, and we can see it's sort of interesting. It's translated differently every time it's used, but at least the other words, erred, sin ignorantly, deceived, and went astray, all have a sort of relationship. We can see how they identify with sin. To err from the right way of the commandments of God, to sin ignorantly, of course, has to do with sin, to be deceived. Well, man's heart is deceitful because of sin. And to go astray, 
before I was afflicted, I went astray from the way of God's commandments. And that idea of some sinful connection is missing from the King James translation. That's why um, I said it's not the best translation. So when God says, going back to Genesis 6, verse 3, And Jehovah said, My spirit shall not always strive or plead cause with man, for that he also is flesh. It should read, and I think this would be the better translation, um, for that in erring he is flesh. You see, now God is, in a way, defining what flesh will be from this point on. Flesh will have identification with erring or going astray or being deceived or sinning. When we read the rest of the Bible, that is what comes across. Actually, if we look at 1 Peter chapter 3, it says in verse 21, The like figure whereunto even baptism doth also now save us, not to putting away of the filth of the flesh. You see how God begins to associate the flesh with with very evil things, bad things. In Romans chapter 7, it says in verse 17, Now then, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. For I know that in me, that is, in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good I find not. For the good that I would I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that, I would not, it is no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. And what dwells within me, no good thing. That which is in my flesh, according to 1 Peter 3, 21, the filth of the flesh, no good thing. It has now complete identification with sin, with going astray from God's commandments. And God now, throughout the Bible, uh, after man's fallen to sin, will set them in opposition to one another. It says in Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, what, what if you were to walk after the flesh? There would be condemnation is what's implied. Verse 2, For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemns sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. For they that are after the flesh 
do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if so be, that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. So here God tells us that if we have the Spirit, there is no condemnation to those in Christ who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. And if you have the Spirit of Christ, that is, if you're saved, if God has um, granted you his salvation through the hearing of his word during the day of salvation, then you're a child of God, you're saved, and God considers you as someone now in the spirit, not in the flesh. And on the other hand, if you do not possess the spirit of Christ, which can only uh, enter into an individual through the means of salvation, through the hearing of the word of God, if you lack the spirit of Christ, then you're in the flesh. And in the flesh, there's condemnation. In the flesh, uh, you're under the wrath of God, and, and flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. God goes on to say in Galatians, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh, and these are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now there is um, a wonderful statement. If ye are led of the Spirit, that is the Spirit of Christ, is in you, then there is no condemnation, then you're in the Spirit. You're led of the Spirit. You follow the Spirit. You walk in the Spirit. All those things are true as long as you're saved. And and also what is true if you are led of the Spirit is you're not under the law. And so now if a child of God desires to observe the Sunday Sabbath because it is God's commandment and the child of God is a new nature desirous to do the will of God, or if the child of God uh, wants to observe any other of the commandments of God found in the Bible that are still applicable in this time, in this day and age, then it doesn't have anything to do with being under the law. They're not under the law. It has nothing to do with trying to keep the law to get right with God, but it's a matter of walking in the Spirit. You'll, you'll desire to follow, to obey the commandments of God. If you love me, keep my commandments. Individuals who accuse God's elect of placing themselves under the law because they don't want to drink anymore, they don't want to smoke anymore because 
they regard Sunday as God's holy day, are making a false accusation because they don't understand what God has done in the life of the one he has saved. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.